you are Locked On A's, your daily Oakland A's podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. How's it going, A's fans, and welcome to episode 184 of the Locked On A's podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host, noted baseball fan, Jason Burke. And on today's show, I am talking about who Liam Hendricks thinks should be the A's closer in 2021, an idea I had with Matt Chapman. I don't know if it's good. It's probably not, but stick around for that. Uh, before I get into everything, though, please follow us on social media at Locked On A's on Twitter and Instagram. I am at ByJasonB on Twitter. And if you have any questions for us, please send those to Locked On Athletic at gmail.com. So Liam Hendricks went on a different A's podcast with Susan Slusser. Not going to talk about that. Uh, we are not offended over here, Liam. But anyway, they talked about a wide variety of topics from which books Liam is reading right now. And uh, I got to say that I like his taste in literature. But uh, he also discussed who he thinks should be the A's closer in 2021. And before I get into that, I do want to mention that at no point did he even drop a, hey, we'll see what happens in free agency when it comes to returning to the A's. Uh, I, I've talked about it before. I'm like, hey, get used to him not being on the A's because he's not coming back. He's going to go get that money. And he didn't even humor us with thinking that Oakland is being on his mind uh, when it comes to signing with the A's this offseason. Uh, it, it was a lot of, I enjoyed my time with the A's or when I was with the A's. Remember those good old days? Uh, type of verbiage and stuff like that. And the the, huge, the words that he was using definitely made it seem as though it's not even crossing his mind to come back to Oakland. And not like in a bad way, like he disliked his time here. He just knows the reality of the business situation where the A's are not going to pony up that kind of money for them, uh, for his services. Uh, so I think that it's more of that. Uh, obviously, he was talking to Susan Slusser, so he either really likes her or, you know, still likes the A's a little bit. Uh, I think that it was just kind of funny that he didn't even bother leaving that door open just a little bit. Um, and the only glimmer of hope that he really offered to A's fans in seeing him in the green and gold for next year is that he'd be open to taking less money on a contract in order to be comfortable where he signs. And uh, does that leave the, the door open a crack? Realistically, no. But uh, I thought that it was nice. That was the closest that he got to saying, hey, maybe I'll come back to Oakland. So uh, he, he's not. Go get that money, Liam. So with Liam Hendricks all but gone, who did he think would be closing games for the A's in 2021? He mentioned both Jake Diekman and J.B. Wendelkin as options, uh, but it sounded as though J.B. was his front runner, which is what I said after the season ended. I was saying, uh, I think that it's going to be him because I think it, that it comes down to Diekman being a lefty, and I'd prefer to have that lefty weapon available in a big spot, whether it's the 7th, 8th, or ninth. so not necessarily the designated closer, but he does play a big late-inning role, so that's my reasoning, and it's not necessarily Jake Diekman, it's lefties in general, where I, you only have a couple of them maybe in a bullpen, if that, and uh, you got to use them where you can to get the best outcome, and I think that having Jake Diekman available, being that he is a great lefty with that slider that he just added in 2019, is just a nice weapon to have in your bullpen when you need it, as opposed to, we got to wait until the ninth inning to unlock this beast, so uh, that, that's what it is for me when it comes to just lefties in general, and Jake Diekman could definitely be the closer. He has, he showed the talent in 2020. By comparison, it's it's tough to compare these two guys because Diekman was so dominant last season that he allowed all of one run throughout the regular season. So obviously the stats are going to be definitely skewed in his favor. And for what it's worth, Diekman was better against righties than lefties, giving up a batting average of 070, not 100, 070 compared to a 
staggering 185 average against lefties. So uh, he was getting shelled by lefties. Uh, that's a joke. That's sarcasm. <laughs> yeah, but he was good against both. Uh, he was actually better against righties than lefties, which is odd, but you know, uh, small sample size. And it's hard to go back further because he did add that slider. So you can't go back to like 2018 and be like, oh, what were his splits back then? Because he's not that pitcher anymore. He's a much better version of that pitcher because the pitching ninja gave him a, a new grip on the slider that he got from like Ryan Stanek or something like that. Um, but anyways, uh, moving on to J.B. Wendelkin, he allowed five earned runs in 2020, good for a 180 ERA and was roughly equal against both righties and lefties. So that's kind of what you're looking for in a closer, somebody who's good against both, not necessarily skewed to one side or the other. And Deakman wasn't skewed either. He was good against both as well. But um, that's just me making my case for J.B. Wendelkin and trying to agree with Liam Hendricks. And because we're talking about the A's, one determining factor here could be money because of course it is. Diekman is signed for the 2021 season at $4 million and then has a $4 million team option for 2022 which is going to be his age 35 season. Uh, at this point, I'm assuming they're going to pick it up unless he completely falls apart, maybe loses a limb, something like that. Because uh, that is a nice salary to get Jake Diekman at. $4 million for one year of elite relief? I'll take it. Uh, Wendelkin, on the other hand, is arbitration eligible starting in 2022. So after next season, he will hit the, uh, the arbitration stuff. <laughs> if the A's want to keep his arbitration figure low, keeping him out of the ninth inning would be in their best interest because... Arbitration is kind of archaic and still focuses on pitcher wins, saves, home runs, runs batted in, all those, you know, counting stats that we hold in less high regard now. Uh, they don't take into account somebody's FIP or anything like that. Uh, they're ex-WOBA. <laughs> um, just throwing out some some terms for you guys. Um, and with Deakman already locked in at $4 million, he could save 162 games for the A's next year, and his salary is not going to go up. But if J.B. Wendell can save like 40 games, let's say, then his salary in 2022 would see a huge uptick. So obviously he's not Craig Kim Kimbrell, but first guy that came to mind, Craig Kimbrell. So I did some research on him and uh, Kimbrell had accumulated a 1.48 ERA with 138 saves before reaching arbitration. And obviously JB Wendelkin is not going to get 138 saves next year and uh, lower his ERA to 148. But he went from making just a little bit over league minimum uh, in his last year before arbitration to $7 million his first season of arbitration eligibility. So uh, that, that's a big increase right there. And I don't think that the A's are cut out to make that kind of a jump for one reliever right there, especially one where they could cost control them like that. So, And I do want to throw in right there that uh, I, I am not in favor of cost controlling the A's players. I'm just saying that it is because they are the A's. This is something that's definitely crossing their minds when they're making some sort of roster decisions. And I think that for the A's to get the most that they can long-term out of somebody like J.B. Wendelkin, they have to keep him away for the, from those counting stats that arbiters look at, like saves, because that's how you keep his value low on, on the market. And that's how you can afford him without having to trade him for other pieces and all that stuff. Uh, kind of like the Andrew Bailey situation that I talked about last week, um, where he, he had all these saves. He was really, really good, but then injuries started creeping up and then they moved him and just started the cycle right back over. Uh, the A's are apt to just get rid of relievers when they don't need them anymore. So uh, I'd like to see J.B. Wendelkin stick around just a little bit longer because he hasn't really gotten that time to shine, but he's been really good for his, you know, roughly three seasons in the majors. Um, and when I said Craig Kimbrell before, uh, I also went back and looked and I was like, oh, hey, there's actually some other guys that he might be in more of like the mold of like a Dellen Betances when he was coming up with the Yankees. 
didn't have a lot of saves to his name, but was a pretty good reliever for a stretch of the years there. Uh, he was pitching more innings than Wendelkin has. I think that one year of Dell and Bonanzas is like Wendelkin's entire career to this point. Uh, but he ended up making $3 million in his first year of arbitration. And I think that for a team like the A's, if they can try and game the system so that Wendelkin would earn like a million and a half instead, then I think that they're going to do that if they're not sacrificing a ton of talent on the field. Uh, because if they got Diekman there at $4 million, then it makes sense for them from a business standpoint to go, hey, Diekman's our closer and then Wendelkin, you're like the eighth inning guy. Because you don't really get paid for holds that much, uh, at least not nearly as much as you do for saves. And the other reason that the A's would probably be going after something like this is because it would have an impact on their payroll, not only in 2022, but for the duration of Wendelkin's tenure with the A's until he hits free agency or leaves the team because each subsequent year that a player hits arbitration their salary is measured against what they have already been making and so if he gets three million dollars in arbitration in his first year then he's going to be getting more than that the next year and then more than that the year after that uh and he'd be like a seven or eight million dollar reliever probably by the end of it if he kept it going for three years and of course that's if he starts off at three million dollars in his first year of arbitration so if you can curt that if you can you know chop it down at the knees in his first year then you limit what he can make in his third year so that's probably something that the A's are considering. And not only the A's, every Major League Baseball team does this, unless they're I mean, the Yankees probably do it too. Unless uh, the, the Dodgers. The Dodgers definitely don't do this because they do not give a damn about money. They just light it on fire and are like, ha ha ha, here you go. Let's bring Justin Turner back. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, uh, again, not in ta- favor of the tactic. I understand it, but give the players their money, guys. Come on, it's not, just just do it. They're, they're the product that we want to see. Not a, ooh, who saved the most money in arbitration? I don't give a shit about that. Uh, give me the players and uh, pay them lots of money. But uh, anyways, coming up on the show, I have something else for the A's to consider, so stay locked in with Locked On A's. I'll be right back. Today's episode is brought to you guys by the best-tasting protein bar ever. We are talking about Built Bar, my friends. And the improved Built Bar is even more deliciouser. They have 18 amazing flavors, including nut and non-nut flavors. They have six new flavors, including caramel, brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. They still got their original 12 flavors like salted caramel, double chocolate, and orange. And all of their bars are covered in 100% chocolate. They are soft and easy to chew. They're protein bars that taste like candy bars. And all of their Built Bars are built for the health-conscious person. You can lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Their bars are low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, and great for the keto diet. So all you got to do to get your hands on some of these delicious Built Bars is go to BuiltBar.com, use promo code LOCKEDON, that is one word, LOCKEDON, and you will get 20% off your next order. Use promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. Welcome back to Locked On A's Podcast. If you guys are enjoying the show, make sure to subscribe wherever you like here in podcasts. And also make sure to follow us on social media at Locked On A's on Twitter and Instagram. I am at by Jason B on Twitter. And if you have any questions for us, please send those to LockedOnAthletics at gmail.com. So over the weekend, I was reading about how there are teams out there that are showing interest in Marcus Simeon, but not at shortstop. Instead, they're looking at him as a candidate for either their second or third base vacancies. And my initial thought was that the Blue Jays have to be one of those teams because they don't necessarily have someone locked in to playing third base for them in 2021, especially after they non-tendered Travis Shaw. Uh, is he a candidate that the A's might go after? Eh, probably not. Uh, but he is now not with the team. Where? Are they, what are they going to do? They've been linked to pretty much every free agent on the market. So uh, the Blue Jays are going to get a bunch of people, I assume. Um, my second thought was that it opens up Simeon's market just a little bit from the three teams that need a shortstop to something closer to like half of baseball that could use an upgrade at one of those three positions. So good for him. Go get that money, Marcus. Uh, 
Uh, so there's the other side of the A's still need a shortstop. So uh, that is not great news for the A's being able to bring him back on a short cost-effective deal. And it does increase the likelihood that the A's are going to have to have a backup plan for who's going to be manning shortstop in his absence. Uh, currently, the shortstop market consists of Simeon, Didi Gregorius, and Angelton Simmons. Hassan Kim is another option that I consider from the KBO, but he's unproven. And so the A's interest in him at this point in their contention cycle is probably a little bit up in the air. Marcus is the best of the four options and anyone else would likely be a downgrade at shortstop and of course the A's could make a trade for a shortstop Francisco Lindor is openly being shopped and it wouldn't shock me if Trevor Story or Javi Baez gets moved but their salaries don't necessarily mesh with how the A's do business so I don't know how likely either of them would be as a trade candidate for the A's so that led me to another thought and that is, what if they slide Matt Chapman over to shortstop to give them more options to consider on the free agent market or trade market? And uh, I will say up front that I am not married to this idea, and it is more of a thought exercise and an actual plan of action for the A's. So please do not roast me in the comments or in my mentions or any of that good stuff. I'm just, uh, you know, thinking out loud. Obviously, the main con with moving Chapman is that he is a platinum gold defender at third base, so moving him could be... Not smart, but uh, stick with me for just a minute and I'll give you my whole thought process on this one here. Marcus Simeon put in a ton of work to improve his defense and I'm not trying to take away any of that hard work and sweat and everything that he put in to increasing his defensive metrics at shortstop. But his defensive run saved increase nicely coincides with Matt Chapman's arrival in Oakland. By DRS, Simeon had put up totals of negative 8 in 2015, 1 in 2016, and negative 3 in 2017 when Chapman played half a season. Then, in Chapman's first full season, Simeon's DRS total shot up to 14 in 2018 and 12 in 2019 before falling again to negative 5 this past season. So, why the drop-off this year? Well, Chapman was playing hurt and he didn't have his usual range, and then he ended up missing 23 games. So is there a correlation? I don't know, but it does seem as though there could potentially be a correlation with Simeon's defense being aided a little bit by having a platinum glove defender at third base helping him out a little bit. Not needing Marcus to range as far for balls, because Matt Chapman can do pretty much anything that he wants to on a baseball field. So with that in mind, why not try him at shortstop with an average defender at third base that he can shine up a little bit, but adds more offensive punch to the lineup than, say, Didi Gregorius or Angel Simmons. That is the thought process that I had on this one, and I'm not necessarily sure that Chapman at short would translate to the same defensive increase for the third base counterpart, because the third baseman would have to cover the line, and with all that foul ground at the Coliseum, that is a big ask task of basically anybody. And just for fun, I looked it up. Chapman had played all of six innings at shortstop in the big leagues, all coming in 2020 when Marcus was down for a game, uh, on top of 85 innings at the position in AA Midland in 2016. So this wouldn't necessarily be a smooth transition, but I believe in Chapman's defense. Uh, he takes pride in that. And I think that he could do whatever he wants to on a baseball field. So if you put him at short, I think that he would give it his all as long as he was on board from the get-go. So obviously this is not something that you want to do for just anybody. But if you could go out there and get a top-tier third baseman, slide Chapman over to shortstop, I think it's worth a, worth considering at least. And if you recall, this was done fairly recently with Manny Machado getting some time at shortstop, primarily in the 2018 season in which he split time between the Orioles and Dodgers. The experiment didn't quite pay off with Machado earning a DRS of negative 13 between the two clubs in roughly 1,200 innings. It was a little bit more than that, but, you know, he put in 1,200 innings. And I know that that looks pretty bad, but I also don't know how much 
much of that was from his time in Baltimore and just not wanting to be there. And obviously he wanted to play shortstop to increase his value on the free agent market. But did he want to be in Baltimore anymore? Probably not. And the other aspect of that is defensive positioning. Were the Orioles putting him in good positions to succeed defensively? I have no information on that. Maybe Major League Baseball clubs do, but uh, that is not available to the public, so I have no idea. Um, So there's that, but I also think that Matt Chapman is a better defender than Machado, and at least partially because he takes the job seriously. So if Matt Chapman were trying at shortstop, then would his results be better? I think that they would, but I don't know that I want to risk it as well. Um, but that leads me to one final question, and that is, would moving him even be worth it? Are, the, are there third base candidates out there that would be dramatic improvements over the guys that are on the shortstop market? Well, n- no. Is the short answer. There are guys like Nolan Arenado and Chris Bryant that are likely to be on the trade block. I don't know if they will be moved, but they probably could be had for the right price. But they're both also owed a ton of money for them to be given serious consideration without their respective clubs eating a big chunk of money in any kind of a trade that they would make with the A's. So the most likely candidate that would be acquired would be somebody like Eduardo Escobar of the Diamondbacks. But he's also pretty versatile, and he's played second, short, and third in the in recent years. So there would really be no need to move Chapman off of third base to acquire Eduardo Escobar. Uh, Michael Franco has always been an intriguing prospect to me, and he'd be an affordable free agent. But are you really going to move your platinum glove defender for Michael Franco? I don't think that that would be a smart decision either. And that's the other bit of this experiment that has to be met to continue with observation, and that's that the player taking over third base would have to be someone of that caliber of Aaron or Chris Bryant to necessitate the move from third base to shortstop from Chapman. You can't just acquire Andy Perino and give him the position, you know? So with all of that said, it doesn't seem like this winter is going to be the one that we see this experiment take place. Uh, I'm still intrigued by the thought process, but there would have to be a lot more talent on the third base market to make such a switch necessary. So with that said, it looks like we're probably going to be seeing either Didi Gregorius or Angelton Simmons as the shortstop of the 2021 A's unless they reach for some upside and sign Hassan Kim. Uh, there's a chance they could go the trade route, but even Javi Baez is looking at over $10 million for next season before becoming a free agent. So unless the Cubs are looking to just slash payroll and not looking for much of a return, then I don't know that that trade is necessarily feasible either. The A's could afford Javi Baez because he's going to be owed like 12, 13, maybe $14 million at the most, but for one season. And with the A's window of contention, I think that that could make sense for the A's, but they wouldn't want to be shipping out a bunch of prospects and paying that much to acquire Javi Baez. So uh, if it was a one or the other situation, I could see the A's jumping on that, but uh, otherwise they're probably going to steer clear of that one. So I guess we'll see what the A's plans for 2021 are at some point. Uh, The winter meetings are underway. And as I was recording, Lance Lynn was traded to the White Sox. So uh, the Rangers are worse. That's that's fun, but the White Sox are much, much better now, so uh, that's scary. But uh, anyways, I'll, I'll talk about that at some point, uh, maybe. I don't know. Listen to the Lockdown Rangers. He's, he's probably got some better insight into that trade. Uh, he may also just be crying for the entire, like, 20 minutes. So uh, give it a shot. See if he's sobbing, and if he is, uh, tune in. Give it a, give it a like, because that, that would be hilarious. <laughs> uh, poor Rangers fans. They, I really didn't like the Rangers for a really long time, and now I'm like, oh, man, they're going to... They're going to be really bad, and it's kind of funny still. Um, yeah, I I do not mess with Texas, but like not in the way that they don't want me to mess with them. I just do not like them, so that's why there's no messing going on. Anyways, I'm rambling, so uh, that's it for me today, you guys. So until next time, stay indoors and celebrate good times, Oakland. Keep wearing those masks, and I'll talk to you guys later this week. 